Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another bonus episode during the hiatus period between seasons four and five of our show. We've got one more week left to go after this one, and then on March 30th, we are going to premiere our first episode of our Breath of the Wild season. It's going to be a great time. Matt and I have kind of been booking through the game, and uh, we've had some really great conversations already. So, yeah, going to be a really excellent season. Next week, we're going to be back with another new hiatus bonus episode. This week, we're going to pull another one out of the vault, and it is a conversation with the wonderful Eric Buckles, the composer of Hero of Time, the Zelda Symphony. Uh, it's a great conversation back from the early days of our show, um, and it was uh, exclusive to the Patreon at that time, so very happy to unveil it for the rest of the public here. Um, I drop a small note about the uh, album here at the beginning of this episode, so uh, listen for that as well. But anyway, um, yeah, definitely happy to have uh, had this opportunity between seasons to release some of our old bonus content for everybody to hear. Really hope that you enjoy this episode, and as I said, we will be back next week with some new content, so good things coming down the pipe soon. Anywho, on with the show, and we'll catch y'all later. Hey there, guys. Before we get into this episode of the show, I want to take one second to say that if you have not previously listened to Hero of Time um, by Eric Buckles, the guest of this episode, I would highly recommend that you hit pause right now. Go listen to that. It takes about 45 minutes, then come back and listen to this conversation. It's a great time, and we cover a lot of ground, which you will almost assuredly enjoy more if you have listened to that wonderful album. So it is available on Spotify and probably a few other places. You just Google Hero of Time and I'm sure you can find it. Anyway, on with the show. Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. How are you doing this beautiful Sunday afternoon, Matt? It is indeed a beautiful Sunday, and we are about to talk about two of my favorite subjects, both The Legend of Zelda and music in The Legend of Zelda for this wonderful bonus episode. I know. It's it's going to be a great one. I think that uh, one, one consistent through line... Um, throughout this entire first season of the show so far has been that we we can't resist taking a, a big long sidebar into discussions about the musical motifs and and you know just kind of the the strong presence that music has in the Zelda series so um which is understandable. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like music is more or less the backbone of the world building in Zelda. Like every area you go into, every uh, new People, you know, race of people you encounter, every temple, everything has its own very unique, specific theme um, that is really encompassed by the music that uh, that the team at Nintendo put together. And so uh, that is a very strong thing just in the game in general, but also more so for those of us who have any type of musical background uh, can appreciate that in, in a special way. Right. So. That was very beautifully put, Matt. Um, however, we did bring someone on the podcast today who can say what you said, but way better, way better and more professionally. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're joined today by Eric Buckles. Hi, how's it going? It's going really good, Eric. We, we appreciate you being here with us. Um, 
as we've said before on the podcast, we've kind of been, uh, you know, we've, we've let people know sort of where they might know you from. And so I'm hoping that a lot of people will have gone back and listened to hero of time, for instance, before, before this conversation, just to, as a refresher. Um, but for anybody who doesn't know you or your background, I guess, can you, can you give us a quick rundown? Who is Eric Butler? <laughs> okay. Well, I've been many things over the years. Um, gosh, um, where to begin? So I guess my, if just to go over like my history with the Zelda series, like, um, my, my earliest memory of Zelda would have been, um, like way back kindergarten, first grade, watching the older kids play a link to the past at daycare. <laughs> um, and my first game I actually owned was, uh, Link's Awakening. And, um, it wasn't until like a few years after that when I got started to um, get into music more. Uh, it was also the same time I got into Zelda. And so um, those two interests coinciding at the same time uh, are the reason I'm here talking to you today. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. In, um, yeah. So, so sorry, did you say Link's Awakening, was that your first Zelda game or your first, your first video game? Uh, so it was my first Zelda game. I I had, my first game for my Game Boy was Pokemon Yellow. (laughs) And so I I had a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Either one of those would have been a great place to jump off from. Link's Awakening was the first game that I ever owned myself. So a lot of nostalgia around that one. I think the first handheld game I ever played or owned was Pokemon Red. Mm. That sounds about right. You would have been. Yeah, that was about that time. So. So, okay. So um, got into Zelda from a very early age. And obviously that musical influence was a big, you know, uh, a big contributing factor or from what I'm understanding was a contributing factor in your, your future profession. Um, What is that profession? Can you tell people kind of what, what you do now and um, you know, yeah, I guess I should probably, so I'll, I'll link it back from, um, from when I started in music to k- kind of present day, essentially, uh, mm-hmm. in 2007, uh, that's when my friends introduced me to a website called Zelda Reorchestrated, uh, which was a small group of musicians, um, creating covers and arrangements of Zelda music using virtual instruments. And so like at the time, you know, I was, I had no idea of virtu- that those were a thing. Um, and being the big band geek that I was, uh, like I had to know how to, where can I find them? And like, how do you use them? Uh, and then I found out how they cost like hundreds or thousands of dollars. And so it was pretty rough getting started. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I, I got... I eventually made my way onto the Zelda Reorchestrated team, started releasing new covers every Friday on a weekly basis. And um, obviously it was pretty hit or miss, but um, the process of just rigorously producing content on a regular basis um, like had amazing benefits from my growth and development as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the end of high school, like, the, the stars had sort of started to align for me. And, um, like I'd, I'd built up my music production skills with Zelda reorchestrated. I had a whole like encyclopedic knowledge of all of Zelda music. Um, the, the 25th anniversary of the, the series was that year. Um, mm-hmm. or like in 2011. Um, and with that came the legend of Zelda 25th anniversary symphony concerts. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Very familiar. <laughs> which released which released alongside Skyward Sword, right? right? Yeah, the, um, the yeah. CD. Um, and so I was I was actually invited to assist the music team with the production for the the three twenty fifth anniversary concerts, as well as the extended Symphony of the Goddesses concert tour that started the following year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first professional job in music. <laughs> and by the way, you did. And the team did a phenomenal job <laughs> on both of those things. The Symphony of the Goddesses, I went twice. Yeah, we've, in one we, year. we've been twice mm. each to Symphony and of the Goddesses. It yeah. is, I mean, Lyndon and I were both tuba players by trade. And so, well, like, not by trade. I well, mean, like, no, we don't like to do it professionally, but through all of middle school, high school, and Lyndon played in college as well. Mm-hmm. Like, we've, been involved in band or choir for most of our lives um, at this point like love it it was so good just phenomenally done like i can't take too much credit because i was just an assistant like doing very (laughs) very low level things but you know i was i was in the thick of it and um got to got to work on a lot of cool stuff Uh, my, my first recording sessions were the uh the ones that we had for the bonus cd that shipped the skyward sword um, yep. I, like, I was pretty thrilled and, and terrified as, as you can imagine <laughs> to be yeah. fresh out of high school and getting to be involved with, with, you know, Zelda and Nintendo and stuff. Uh, I was, mm-hmm. I was backstage at Nintendo's E3 2011 press conference. Um, oh my God. Where- <laughs> is that the one, is that the one where, where Miyamoto's Wii U nunchuck stopped working like in the middle of the Skyward Sword demo? I think that might've been the year uh, I'm, I was like busy backstage but it was uh, yeah, like right. uh, it was the year that they had the orchestra rise up like out of the floor and like um do the uh, performance gotcha. at the start and then they did like the 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 get item fanfare thing with Miyamoto and stuff so yeah um, and so i mean did you have like so for your first job as a working adult to be to be that you know i mean was that was that just such a Obviously a very proud moment for you, but also like kind of an unreal <laughs> moment, like pinch me, I'm dreaming, kind of can't believe that we've, that this is where we are sort of moment. I, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I'd, I'd be walking down the hallway and here comes Reggie, Miyamoto-san, Aonuma-san, Iwata-san, like Bill Trinan, the whole gang. Right. And so it's like, <laughs> gosh, yeah. I mean, I, I've never been one to like, um, you know, have, have, fanboy moments in public or anything like i, I kept it pretty yeah. chill <laughs> um but you know in, internally screaming. it's still very much like yeah. wow like this is pretty crazy and i i eventually got to meet koji kondo at a rehearsal for um, Ooh, one of the man. shows wow um, so yeah basically bucket list items like just check, check i mean check, yeah check, it's, a whole it, list it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like you and then the mount rushmore of nintendo you yeah. know just like all that's absolutely incredible. Um, wow. Okay. So that was your first professional gig. Um, obviously symphony of the goddesses, uh, is on, um, is either finished or is on an extended hiatus. I don't know what the actual status there is. And then hero of time is something that you did a few years after all that. What are you on to now? Well, um, I actually, last year I released another small Zelda arrangement album. Just, it's very different from what I typically release. So, um, mm-hmm. it was called a Merry Hyrule Christmas and it was a Christmas <laughs> album featuring Zelda themes and like very, like 
traditional Christmas carols, um, Mm -hmm. sort of intertwined together. And it's, it's a little bizarre. It's a little unique. It's, it was a lot of fun. Um, probably something you'd only listen to in like November, December, but, um, you should check it out. Um, this holiday season. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely will do. I mean, you know, middle, middle of July, we'll have Christmas in June. Absolutely. Sorry, in June. It'll be Christmas in June. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) But besides like Zelda stuff, no, I've, uh, like ever since that, that first project, I've, I've been working professionally. Uh, I worked as an assistant to a composer for roughly seven years. And now, um, I'm, breaking out on my own. I've got, um, I've got my own audio production studio for games called Limit Break Audio, uh, where I write music. I do music implementation for video games and just <laughs> have a good time. So is that more of, um, w- whenever you get called in to do work on a game, is it more of a situation where you get um, you get retained to do an entire soundtrack and all the audio engineering or whatever, or is it more of like a the way that I know a lot of contract art works in video games where they'll pull you in as needed on a contract basis to help out with one or two things. And then it's a bit of both of that. Um, most of my work over the last um, you know, 10 years has been orchestration work. So I'm, I haven't been doing as much like composing my own music, uh, which I want to get more into now, but uh, you know, as an assistant, that's not my job to, to write the music. Um, sure. But um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of just hopping from project to project, um, just limited time spent doing the one job and then moving on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have, uh, is there, I guess, any recent game that people might've heard of that, uh, some of, you know, <laughs> that, that you're really proud of having worked on or. Yeah. So, um, the last few years I've been orchestrating music for the composer Gareth Coker, um, who recently, well, we just released, um, earlier this week or last week, um, um, new DLC for Ark survival evolved, um, mm-hmm. which is like a survival game with dinosaurs and technology and like all sorts of really crazy stuff. Um, and so for that, we were, we recorded a massive orchestra over at Abbey road, the famous Abbey road studios in London. Oh, that's um, incredible. wow. Yeah. And, um, Last year we released uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which oh, is a very I fantastic, love. beautiful game. <laughs> um, I love that soundtrack, by the way. It, it, Gareth Gareth's music is incredible. It was it was a pleasure to to get to orchestrate that music. Well, I, I think that's one of those games too. Both of the Ori games, really. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we live in this wonderful age of game design right now, where games like Ori or also I know some of the older, uh, not older, but some of the side-scrolling Rayman games from the last Mm -hmm. few years, um, you know, stuff like Journey. I mean, we exist in this world right now where um, we kind of have an embarrassment of riches in terms of games with a very uh, like defined artistic vision, right? Mm -hmm. Both visually and from an audio standpoint. And those two worlds come together and create a product that is just as much art as it is in interactive entertainment experience, you know? So I, I would definitely put Ori under that umbrella. The, the sound and art direction in those games is phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to, so I just pulled up Gareth, um, on Wikipedia and some other ones that people might notice here, uh, Darksiders Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, some Minecraft expansion packs, 
both Ori games and just this small little one called Halo Infinite. <laughs> oh, is he on Infinite? Yes. Wow. Okay. Are you working on Infinite, Eric? <laughs> that, that would be another bucket list um, item, but unfortunately, <laughs> no. Microsoft has a little more um, um, control over the whole music Got production. It. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Well, definitely, that's one we're looking forward to hearing more from before too long. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Well, Eric, we really appreciate you kind of giving us. Um, uh, you know, a summary of what you've been doing and, and what your background is. Uh, we're going to dive more deeply into Zelda music specifically here in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to get a little bit of housekeeping out of the way. This is, of course, Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. It's a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda. One little slice at a time. Obviously, this is not one of our regular episodes. This is a bonus episode where we dig more specifically into one individual topic, sometimes with a guest, sometimes not. Obviously, today we've got um, an awesome guest on the show that we've been excited to talk to for quite a while. Um, regardless, every Wednesday we do release episodes on all major podcast networks. We are almost done with our first game. It's crazy to say because it feels like... Uh, it feels feel, like we just started. Yeah, it feels like we just started, but we're we're ten weeks in, and Ocarina of Time. At, after this episode, we're gonna uh, we're gonna hop into our final Ocarina of Time episode, Ganon's Castle, and all that. So, um, and then after that, if the results of our Patreon poll hold true for the next three days, then we'll be moving on to Link's Awakening. After that, it is currently leading a Link to the Past by one vote. So. We'll see. We'll see where we net out with that. Maybe Link to the Past will have a come from behind victory there. No, let's hope it's still Link's Awakening so that Lyndon has to buy me a cigar. I not know. the other way around. I'm, I'm currently losing that bet, so yes. that's fine. All right. Um, regardless, uh, yeah, we'll be moving on to a new game soon. Um, obviously, most people listening to this episode are patrons on our Patreon, and we appreciate your support very much. If you haven't, please go over to iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and if there's an option to leave a review, do that. And we would love if you'd make it a good one. Those five star reviews uh, make us feel great about ourselves and also um, help us get discovered by more people. So um, which we like being discovered by more people. We didn't start a podcast just to be humble about how awesome we are. Well, you know, in the We're kind of egotists. Uh, well, OK, you can <laughs> I mean, speak for yourself. I um, <laughs> look in the very beginning. I was kind of there was an exploratory phase where I was like, let's spend a few weeks figuring out if we're just garbage at this. And if we are, then I'm kind of okay if nobody ever finds this, right? Yeah, but fair. but it's been a few weeks, and I think it's it's going okay. Certainly good enough to where I'm like, I kind of hope people, I kind of hope people like us this, and, yeah, and so. listen to it and give us some likes. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's, that's fair. But anyway, for for all of you supporters for this first season of the show, um, you've you've been tremendous, and we are uh, humbled and and grateful by the number of people who have found us already. So, um, big thanks to you guys. It's all for you and the content. It's all about the content. Okay, uh, with that out of the way, I want to get more specifically into the topics of conversation um, that we have on deck for today. Obviously, we have a uh, a music professional with us who has some familiarity, quite a bit of familiarity with the music of the Legend of Zelda series. And so, Eric, I want to start off by asking you, um, what? I mean, the music in Zelda is basically its own character, right? Like it's it's one of the main supporting beams of the of the success of the series generally. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, um, I guess if you had to 
let, let's let's start talking specifically about Ocarina of Time. Um, the first game that this team ever made from the transition to, from, you know, from 2D to 3D. And then it had um, a much more complex soundtrack to go along with that. Uh, I mean, tell us about like, what about that soundtrack inspired you to create the symphonic arrangement Hero of Time? I think so. Going back into my memory bank, um, Ocarina of Time really was more or less the first Zelda game that had a very linear story, uh, more, you know, quite linear. Um, it had cinematics with scored music to it. And it just felt like a very fresh entry to the series at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I hadn't played it at the time, but you know, for the time that it was in. Yeah. Um, and so with all of those elements together, you have a really like good opportunity to, um, drive a narrative using music. And with Hero of Time, I wanted to retell the story of Ocarina of Time using only themes from the game and just sort of weave them together in a way that, uh, calls to mind the events of the story. Gotcha. Because I know Ocarina of Time or sorry, Hero of Time is a full, I mean, it tells a story from beginning to end. Um, and the music of Ocarina of Time is very, um, I'm trying to think of a way to say this. I mean, a lot of older Zelda music, especially before it switched to orchestration is very loop based, right? Mm -hmm. It just, it can, it can fill a space over and over and over again without, hopefully without becoming annoying. I, I certainly don't feel like it ever does, but, um, it's something that is definitely a very different musical format than a full orchestral movement. Uh, can you tell me what that transition is like when you're trying to take that original music and weave it into a, a full story? It's more about sort of taking the components of the music that are important, that are, I guess, relevant to other aspects of the story and combining them together to tell a, a you know, tell the, tell the narrative, I guess like while I was working on the music, I would say that I had, um, almost like a, a, a film playing in my head or like a scene would play out. And I was just writing music with the, I, would, I was writing music to match what I saw in my head or what I remember from the game. And then just writing using the themes that are applicable. Yeah. So when you were uh, writing uh, all of this, um, the, the music and finally got it um, onto paper or onto, you know, digital format, whichever, um, did you have the um, the digital uh, digital orchestration that you were telling us about earlier? Or did someone or did you actually have uh, an orchestra that recorded the, the whole movement? Mm. So when I started to work on the project, everything was uh, written, sketched out in virtual instruments. And um, from there, I made all the sheet music. And then we had a Kickstarter. We recorded a 64-piece orchestra. Uh, and so I would say about 90, 95% of what you hear on that album is like live orchestra or soloists that I had uh, record mm -hmm. parts remotely. Um, 
what was that like taking soloists, uh, you know, different strings of music and, and compiling them together to, to create the whole? That sounds like a, an extremely <laughs> time consuming and, and difficult process. Yeah, I mean, it's it's especially with like the lockdowns the last year, it's um, remote recording has become a really big um, aspect of of you know, just recording music as it has been for, for many years now, but even more so. Um, and it is a lot of work because you're, you're having to send lots of assets to various other, other musicians to record. Um, and then it's also a challenge for, for mixing because you've got all these people recording in different environments. So they've got, um, different, um, reverb, you know, like room sounds and to Mm -hmm. try to make everything sound like it's in in the same space together, uh, can be pretty challenging, but if you get high quality recordings without a lot of the, the reflections of the room, uh, you can, you can, um, get pretty good results just using plugins and VSTs. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm kind of curious about is for one, did you replay Ocarina of Time before you set, before you sat down to arrange this? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely, um, definitely needed to reacquaint myself. Um, and there, you know, I'd have, uh, like a bookmark full of YouTube videos of let's plays just, just so I can like reference back to anything if I needed to just needed to refresh my memory of like a certain scene or like, um, I don't know, just to capture s- certain moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So with that in mind, knowing that you, you did have a very recent familiarity with the game by the time you started working on hero of time, what was your process like in deciding? So obviously there are some tracks on the album that are played a little more straight to mm-hmm. what you hear in the game versus others. Um, for instance, the, uh, uh, um, what's the official track title? The Water Temple track. Uh, Dark Water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that one I think is very, um, uh, like obviously gains a lot of complexity in its orca- in its orchestration. But like, it's the tone and the execution is played, um, very similarly to you know what is portrayed in the game. It, um, you know, it has a very similar feel and vibe to it. Whereas the next track after that, the Shadow Temple track, um is really like, like obviously the shadow temple is a very creepy part of Ocarina of time, but your track has this really cool thing that it does where it's, it's, I would call it more melancholy, honestly, than just straight up creepy. And it, and it's tying in the vibes that you get from the shadow temple itself, but also from that entire Kakariko village Mm. section of the game, which is very, um, we talked about this in an earlier episode, but um, that section of the game feels like you're walking around and there's some some very dark, creepy vibes just under the surface. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, your your track really communicated that very clearly. So, you know, what's your decision process like whenever, you know, you leave yourself a little bit more room for tonal interpretation, I guess. So there were some tracks that I wanted to keep true to the original arrangement um, just because there's a lot of Zelda purists out there and they get on my back. If, if, (laughs) if they don't get something that they want. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so, you know, the Hyrule field track is very, um, you know, I'd I'd say it's a conservative arrangement. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Um, what was that? And the Lon Lon Ranch one is pretty much yeah. a straight adaptation as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very like minimal like changes to it. And I think that's important just to, to give some level of like familiarity with, with the, the arrangements. Um, yeah. but I, I'm a bigger fan of going more the, 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 the other direction with, um, you know, just freely expanding upon the themes and, and, um, making something new. Um, but like to use your examples, like dark waters was, um, that was, that one was arranged by, uh, David Peacock, a great friend of mine who's a brilliant pianist and orchestrator. Um, and so for that one, I actually, I, I told him the concept that I wanted for it. And that was, I want you to arrange, um, the water temple theme in the style of Debussy's sunken cathedral because mm. sunken cathedral, water temple, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. like just the names are very similar. And, uh, I, it's also one of my favorite, um, classical piano pieces. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I told him like, I want, I want the, like the through arc of the story of the, of the track to be like, Link's inner struggle against like his dark shadow, you know? So like, it's very much an inward reflection of, Mm. um, like dark link and, um, and, and David knocked it out of the park. It's probably like, it is definitely my favorite track on the album, actually, just because of how, um, how, how perfect it just encapsulates all of that. Um, the village of shadows track and this kind of, extends to a lot of the other tracks, but village of shadows with the, the Kakariko village. Um, what I did was I shifted the, the, the melody into a minor variation, a a minor key variation from major. And, um, you know, it's, it, it is a very simple concept. Like, it's not like I did something that's like, um, you know, mind-blowingly complex or, or even like unique and interesting, but it does, it it flips the whole tone of the track on its head. And, um, and like for each of, each of these tracks, you you might notice like on the track list, um, I've got memories of the forest, uh, feast of the fire dragon, dark water, like there's the element names are in all the tracks. And like I had to, it was hard to, hard to come up with better names. I I wish I had, but, um, um, I, I wanted the element names in it to make it a little more obvious that I'm trying to combine the, um, the, the, um, the Ocarina warp songs with their respective right. location to tell that specific story of that chapter of the game. Um, and so dark waters, uh, not only includes water temple, but also the serenade of water is in there as well. Right. And then I know the, the nocturne of shadow is kind of a, a subdominant, um, motif in the, yeah. in the village of shadows yeah, as that's well. Right. So, yeah, so it, it's all, it's all very well done. And I think that, yeah, I mean, you say that it's a simple trick to shift the the key of the Kakariko Village theme from a major scale to a minor scale, um, but I think it's it's brilliant in its simplicity, just because that entire track in its original form is supposed to make you feel cozy and homey. You know, <laughs> well, like mm-hmm. so, sorry. Uh, so I think that was that's kind of the brilliance of what uh, Koji Kondo's composition originally was. Um, I mean, obviously that track has been around since uh, a link to the past, but uh, the way it's presented in Ocarina of Time is like, Oh, everything here is fine. Like it's happy place, nothing bad here. It's like sort of 
like covering up something literally. Um, yeah, yeah I totally agree. I think, um, so I actually listened to this when we first started talking about this podcast and that we were going to have you as, as a guest, I took a listen for the, my first time to the hero of time. Um, and I actually just listened to it again today. And I think like, I have to just say the spirit of the Valley <laughs> is probably my favorite. Um, well, that's it's got the re <laughs> it's the rearrangement of the Gerudo, which, you know, obviously it has said last week is my favorite in the game. But like the way that you and Jake McCoy um, took and it, it, the tone is in almost polar opposite of the original Gerudo Valley theme, but it's just as striking and interesting and it's it has a much more mysterious vibe than the Gerudo Valley theme which I love well it takes it takes the tone of the music from inside the 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 spirit temple temple. yeah Yeah. which is very like you know mystical temple vibes and it applies that tone to the Gerudo Valley song which I feel like was there a big temptation there to just play that one pretty straight just like (laughs) all right let's get some Spanish guitar and just like yeah I mean so Gerudo Valley is literally the most remixed, arranged, covered Zelda track in existence. And so it's always, it's it's always pretty challenging and daunting to come up with some, like a unique take on, on that theme. Um, and it was, it was, you know, doubly hard because I, I knew I was going to be recording with orchestra. So like, Guitars, like it's not out of the question. We had guitars, but it is. Um, oh yeah, it's it's very much more leaning toward the symphonic side of things with guitars added. Because uh, it's screwed about. You got to have a guitar. Yeah. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it basically it's the same as the other tracks. I just wanted to combine all of the wrap everything up from that one chapter of the game into one piece of music that kind of just really tells the story there. So if you, I guess you said, uh, you think that the Hyrule field track is the one that you played very conservatively. Mm. Um, probably, would you say that's the most conservatively adapted track on the album? Yeah, I'd say so. That one and the, um, the end credits portion of the, the the last track, um, which, you know, it's already pretty heavily arranged of various other themes. Um, but like, I don't know. <laughs> so which which track do you feel like diverged the most from the original source material? Ooh, let me see here. Because um, a lot of them kind of do. Yeah, I, I, I know which one I, I would say I think does, um, but I, I'm curious to hear your answer. I'm refreshing myself. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the Castletown Market is is pretty it's more bombastic um Mm -hmm. and but then there's also um i mean dark waters obviously just very yeah meditative yeah i was gonna say uh the dungeon dwellers one actually which is kind of meant i think meant to encapsulate the tone of a whole section of the game um you know uh you have a uh each temple you go to as adult link has its own piece, obviously, but that piece dungeon dwellers is meant to encapsulate kind of like the whole Dodongo's cavern, Jabu Jabu section of the game. Right. Which neither of those have a very strong musical presence at all. It's very atmospheric. Mm -hmm. So, so you're kind of trying to convey that part of the story. Um, and obviously there are themes like the mini boss battle theme or Mm. whatever is in there. 
Um, but you know, it's, it has a very, uh, unique musical identity. It's got this motif that, um, that you don't really hear in the actual game much. It, it's kind of as its own special thing. And I really like right. that track. Yeah. So like for that, like I wanted to have like a, you know, some sort of combat music earlier on in the album. And so it was between, um, the boss battle theme or the middle boss battle the mini boss battle theme. Um, yep. so I went with the mini boss, uh, just, I think it adapt, it was more adaptable for orchestra. Um, obviously I, you know, it could go either way, but, um, I, I just had more ideas for that one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the most unique one that I, um, find really, I guess, engaging is the legendary blade. So it's a directly after the dungeon dwellers. And what I really like about this particular piece is the combination of a very intense version of Zelda's lullaby followed directly by the evil King theme following into, you know, the pulling of the master sword. Yeah. Like it was a really cool combo of that entire, you know, micro section of the game and i think the arrangement flowed well together yeah. and you really felt like you were watching this happen well, sequentially. you can well, see it in your head the game exactly yes yeah. completely that section of the game is such a tonal whirlwind too so yeah. it's like a piece of music that was going to try and tell that story has got to cover a lot of emotional ground <laughs> really yeah I mean, you um, see you see ganondorf charging out of out of castle town uh with zelda kidnapped mm -hmm. she throws the ocarina yeah. hits the water uh then you you um, I, I kind of borrowed a, a concept from spirit tracks where they would, when they would teach you songs on spirit tracks, they would, they'd give you like a metronome sound, which was like a ding dong, 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 like that sort of thing. And so I, I did that, um, for when Zelda, she, she teaches you the song of time in like this vision, this sort of white void area. Um, yeah. and then linked rushes to the temple of time, um, and opens the door and gets the sword. Um, mm -hmm. so that's all in one track, which is a lot of fun. To right. As, as a lot. Yeah. So are you, obviously I'm sure you're familiar with, um, Austin Wintory's journey soundtrack, right? <laughs> yeah. As yeah. you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So well, I just loved it so much because the first time I listened to it, right. Like when the, when you get into the cover of the temple of time theme and the violins really kick in, it reminded me in a very positive way of, um, I think it's apotheosis. That yeah, yeah. Track of it. And you know, yeah, that's oh, where I got that idea from. Fantastic. Okay, cool. I'm glad I just <laughs> yeah. wasn't going insane and so, just making that. So <laughs> there's a nowhere. lot of like um Hero Time's not only like a love letter to Zelda, but also like just all of like my influences from you know before that time before I was arranging. So like there's a lot yeah. of like uh Joe Hisaishi vibes, you know, like Princess Mononoke vibes. Um mm, yeah. gosh, what else? Like there's there's like if, if it was something that I enjoyed, I probably referenced it somewhere in, in the album. Um, yeah, but that's, yeah. that's for people to discover. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, I'm glad that I could, you know, pull one of them out and just be like, Hey, look, this is one right here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a good one too. Yeah, because journey oh, is a great one. Fantastic. So would you say, I guess, um, getting, uh, moving away from hero of time specifically, do you think that music in Zelda generally lends itself to symphonic arrangement? Obviously, you've done a lot of that, so I can assume that your answer is probably yes. But I mean, like I said, this is music that's originally created for a very different purpose than being listened to in a long form right. format. So, well, so music, 
Writing music for virtual instruments like MIDI is a very different from, is very fundamentally different from writing music for live musicians. And, um, it can be pretty difficult to like separate the, the differences while doing it. So like, obviously back when a lot of Zelda music was written, they never imagined that it would be played by a live orchestra. Like, like who would think that? Right. Um, yeah. And so they, they just made music that sounded good with the technology they had at the time. And when you're writing for live musicians, you have to remember things like, oh yeah, they have to breathe or, oh yeah, like they have to be able to play in tune or something. And so there's a lot more considerations to take when adapting or when, when writing for live and also when adapting music from MIDI into um, live orchestration. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, would you say, like, I think it's very fair to say that the music of Zelda has um, begun a, a transition process from that style, obviously, to full orchestrated soundtracks. Um, do you think that it's lost something in that transition or do you think that it's still staying very true to its uh, to its musical roots? I think it's made the transition very nicely. I mean, so Ocarina of, if Ocarina of Time was the first to have like cinematics and um, like scored to picture moments, um, then Wind Waker sort of upped, upped that a little bit. There were a lot more cinematics and um, there was a bit more, the, the term is Mickey Mousing where like, and that kind of is, applied to like the cartoony vibes of wind waker where you get like little flourishes, like when something happens explodes. Um, or, yeah. And so like then twilight princess obviously had the, the intro trailer music was actually live orchestration, but that, that, obviously that's not in the game. So it's like, um, but the, the, the MIDI orchestration went a little more toward the direction of like writing for live players, even though it was still MIDI. Um, mm-hmm. and so twilight princess, music is a lot easier to adapt for live performance than say Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Um, you know, if you keep going, Skyward Sword had live orchestrated music <laughs> and mm, Breath yeah. of the Wild, uh, you know, was mixed, but it still had a lot, it had more than Skyward Sword, I believe. But, um, yeah. So I actually am curious to hear your opinion on Breath of the Wild's musical approach, mm. because I know that for a lot of fans, longtime fans of the Zelda series, it, you know, that soundtrack didn't jive as much as, uh, as some people just don't like it. And I've always thought that was insane. I love that soundtrack. <laughs> I think that it, I think that it communicates the tone of that game perfectly, but it is very different from anything that's come before in Zelda. And I'm, I'm curious what you think of it. I mean, I can definitely relate to all the fans who, um, who are disappointed by that. Um, I think it, it comes down to, you know, they wanted the bangers. They wanted the Gruta Valley that's like constantly looping and, you know, be able to jam out while they're, they're slaying enemies and stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a very, um, very different approach to the the soundtrack. And uh, I think it's, it's brilliant, even though at first I was also a little disappointed that, um, it's far more in most cases atmospheric in the way that like Skyrim soundtrack is, mm-hmm. is atmospheric. Anytime I play Breath of the Wild um, and, and not just because Breath of the Wild is so open and just exploratory based, like I do feel very Skyrim vibes like 
every area that you're um, just exploring that's not like obviously like a divine beast or a population center it just has some very nice atmospheric qualities going on it changes between night and day um like i i personally love that kind of stuff like whenever i'm i don't I would not want Gerudo Valley looping constantly <laughs> while I'm walking around no, for sure. uh, the desert in Breath of the Wild. Like as much as I love Gerudo Valley theme song, that would really get annoying. So like I feel like they really did the, the they had the best approach possible for the game of its type. Yeah, I mean the music took on a completely different role with Breath of the Wild. Instead of having wall-to-wall looping music like every other Zelda game before, it becomes more of like more of like how the game is actually laid out where you have uh islands of activity where which are the 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 cities and the divine beasts and the stables Mm -hmm. and so like as you get closer to these locations it starts to fade in and you're drawn in Mm -hmm. to to visit those places and then when you leave it it fade the, the music like drops out and you're left with the 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 piano flourishes and um the combat music well, it's so interesting, too, because I feel like even though Nintendo is a Japanese company, the musical style of Zelda has never been particularly Japanese, right? Like, it, 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 at least to my ear, it's never adopted too much of a cultural influence there. But in Breath of the Wild, you know, they really do embrace that at times in some really interesting ways. I mean, you go to Kakariko Village in Breath of the Wild and, you know, you've got that full, you know, Japanese bamboo flute arrangement mm. going on. And it's it's all very um, just very beautiful. I mean, very Ghibli-esque for sure. Yeah, I think um, I disagree to a small extent. Like, I do think that um, a lot of earlier Zelda music has you know, some semblance of influences of like Japan, what you call Japanese style music um, Mm -hmm. with like relating to the harmonies and um, especially a lot of Koji Kondo's influence comes from like jazz and um, like Ravel and gosh, I forget Ravel being the big one. Like you probably know this. It's a fun trivia fact that the original, um, Zelda, like for the NES, the the main theme for the game was going to be Ravel's Bolero. Um, like straight up was that. going to be the classical piece of music Bolero. And, um, you know, that later got referenced in Ocarina of Time with the Bolero Fire. Bolero Fire. Um, mm-hmm. So now just to, <laughs> I don't know why I just came up. No, no. I mean, that's what I, that's, I did not know that I either. Never heard that <laughs> I mean, before. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, a lot of Koji Kondo's music is definitely influenced by Western composers. So, so moving on um, into your history with adapting Zelda music for um, orchestral performance, um, you told us that you've done some work with both Symphony of the Goddesses and on the Zelda 25th anniversary mm-hmm. concert arrangements. Um, obviously, both of those are very medley based right like they you know there there will be pieces that are very long form just kind of um similar to what you do in hero of time where it'll Mm -hmm. tackle one section of the game in an extended format right but mostly it is kind of there will be a section of the concert that is centered around a whole game and you've got to try and figure out how to communicate the tone of that game with 
several different themes from the game. Uh, can you tell us w- what goes into the process of deciding what makes the cut and what doesn't? Because there's a lot yeah. to choose from in most cases. Yeah. So again, I wasn't, I wasn't the one making those decisions, but I was like privy to those discussions and I got to see how this all kind of got pulled together. Um, it came, it came down to a number of things. Like we already touched on like how well it adapts to live orchestration. And that was a big one because, you know, there's, there are tracks that are written, you know, for any, any game really that they just don't translate well into live performance and that's fine. But, um, we obviously needed it to, so that, that ruled out a lot of, um, those tracks. Um, then there's also like the fan favorites, right? Which tracks are people coming to the concert? Which ones are they going to expect to hear? And like, where are we going to put those in the show? The dark world theme, dragon roost. Yeah. Like you got to have all of those. And so that, that narrowed it down even more. And then it sort of just became a matter of like, okay, how do we connect all of them together? What's the connective tissue between each of these different themes and how can we use it to drive a narrative? Right. Um, like there's some tracks that'll have like, I'm trying to, um, sorry, I just blanked out there, but, uh, (laughs) no, like it, it basically just came down to playability, fan favorites, and then telling a story with what pieces remain. And then the video that accompanied all of the, the arrangements, uh, was edited against the music, which is backwards. Um, if you're coming from like the film and TV world where the, the music gets written to the picture, in this case, the picture was edited to match the the music. Well, I think that process speaks very much to Nintendo being willing to embrace the musical legacy of this game series, right? Like you were talking about back when the legend of Zelda was first being created and nobody ever thinking like, it doesn't occur to anybody that, that this might ever be performed in this setting. Right. Uh, but we're, we're definitely there now. And Nintendo seems very aware of the importance of the music in Mm -hmm. this series of games. I mean, you know, you've seen other companies put on full orchestras like symphony of the goddesses, but it's not a, super commonly done thing and not any game series can really support it mm-hmm. um, i mean i can only think of two off the top of my head and that's the witcher three they had a full um orchestral performance and they did it i think they did it for final fantasy 7 mm-hmm. recently i could be making that up one of the final so, fantasy games I um yeah there have been other video game concert tour like the final fantasy distant worlds uh there's the pokemon symphonic evolutions um uh, which i got to help with, with that one as well which is great um, yeah. 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 But I, I just think that it's, uh, because this is something that the fans very clearly respond to in a big way. Um, and Nintendo is very traditionally picky and choosy about what kind of extra stuff they do around their game releases. Right. Mm-hmm. But they seem to acknowledge the importance of the music very much. Um, I mean, do you see that continuing? I mean, do you think that's going to continue being a priority for them and something that they'll lean into? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. Like, I feel like there was, there, it was like a, there was this trend of live video game music concerts. And obviously with the lockdowns, that's done away with the, the, the live music <laughs> industry Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes, but I think it was dying, starting to die down at least for Nintendo. Like I, 
I don't really know. Obviously it's been years since I've been like involved with Nintendo's concert productions, but um, it doesn't seem like they're too interested if you ask me, but I have, you know, no insider info or anything like that. I, but yeah. So I, I am kind of curious. Um, when you started the process of, you said there was a Kickstarter to get hero of mm. time off the ground. Nintendo, like I said, they are typically very picky choosy about, um, you know, what they choose to support. That's not a video game, right? Like them releasing a video game. Um, what was the process? Like, I'm assuming Hero of Time was done with Nintendo's approval, right? Is that so? Hero of Time is licensed, but it's it's not done. It doesn't need Nintendo's approval, right? So, in in the U.S., there are uh, with copyright laws and whatnot. Um, like, I can release an album of Zelda music as long as I pay Nintendo a statutory royalty. Mm-hmm. And so for every copy of Hero Time that gets sold, uh, a portion of that money gets sent to Nintendo in the form of a royalty. Um, and that, that covers the license for the album. Is that exclusive to music or does that cover basically any? That's, it's, it's a music ever? thing. So uh, okay. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a copyright expert, but... Um, <laughs> Someone about to go make a Zelda. Yeah, I was going to say, well, my, the, the, you said that and the wheels start turning in my head because, yeah, I'm a I'm a visual artist, you know, yeah, I do yeah. pop culture art and stuff. So I'm thinking like, oh, my gosh, is did this guy just open up a whole new world of life? But anyway, yeah, copyright is a is it's a whole mess. <laughs> I try yeah, to stay as far away as I can from that. But that's that's wise. Yeah, no doubt. So, OK, uh, going back to Symphony of the Goddesses very briefly, that show evolved very much over, you know, from when it began mm. to whenever it ended um while you were involved with it does it have a particular iteration that you were the most fond of just in terms of like music that was included in it <sighs> well so i was involved for the first at least the at least two years it might have been three years because we did yeah i think it was the original tour and then it was like second quest or whatever when when we added a, a, a new set list rotation um you know, it's been so long now that I'm, I'm having trouble even remembering a lot of the music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, like the, the, the one that I liked the most was like the link to the past movement, um, which we ended up recording at the recording session, but didn't make it onto the CD for some reason. And hmm. same, same with the, the Ocarina of Time movement. So those two are both missing from the Skyward Sword CD and, I don't know why. That's interesting. But are they basically the, if you had been to a symphony of the goddesses live show, it's the exact same. Yeah. It's it's just that there's no, um, there's no recording of that. That's been released as opposed to wind waker and twilight princess, which made it on the CD, just not the other two. And yeah, Matt, I'm trying to think Mm -hmm. because you, you and I were at one of those two shows together. Mm -hmm. What, What's your, what was your favorite one? Like, honestly, like your favorite piece of music from. Symphony oh, of the I mean, you, I'm, you know, the answer to this, it is, it's the Skyward oh, Sword yeah, intro because the, the ballad, ballad of the, ballad of the goddesses is my personal favorite piece of music okay. in Zelda. And like the way that the symphony of the goddesses wove that through the entire medley of Skyward Sword mm. was amazing. Like I, but I do have to say, 
very, very close second was the Twilight Princess suite. Okay. Because I love the Twilight Princess music as well. It's so much darker and like more moody and and more atmospheric and more um, like I I really, really like it. So, um, well, it's interesting. You basically chose the most bombastic Zelda intro theme and also the least bombastic Zelda intro theme like. Those are your two favorites. Like you, you oh yeah. Well, it it depends on what mood I'm in, Lyndon. Like I'm allowed to have more than one mood. I'm not always feeling super bombastic. Sometimes I'm feeling melancholy and uh, like howling at the moon with Wolf Link. Okay, so it's about the human experience, is what you're telling me. Exactly. Okay, good, cool. It's about how the music makes you feel, (laughs) Lyndon. I think my favorite was when we showed up. Um, I think the second one that I went to, there was a Majora's Mask medley in there and I did not get that one. Okay. Well, in the one I got, it was, I'd, uh, so I had seen, I had heard one before and it was mostly the oath to order. It was like a, mm-hmm. it, it was, and then the clock town theme and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there was one that I went to where they snuck the Deku palace theme in there. <gasps> and, oh, and I love amazing. that. I love that piece of music so much is just, Oh, sorry. That was my foot. I kicked the chair. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but anyway, that that kind of snuck in there, and I I love just the Deku Palace arrangement. Anyway, yeah, that's um, amazing. So I'm jealous. That one was a lot of fun. So we've had a lot of very nuanced conversation here, Eric. I'm going to ask you now a supremely non-nuanced <laughs> question, <laughs> and that is just if you had to pick a favorite piece of music in the history of of Zelda, what would it be? Gosh, okay. <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So there might be some like recency bias with this, but the, uh, I don't remember which trailer it was exactly, but it's for breath of the wild. And I think it was probably one of the last trailers that came out for it. Um, the music for that trailer is an absolute banger. Um, yeah, I'd say that's, that's probably the greatest Zelda piece of music that's ever been made. Um, prior to that, I would, I would have said, um, probably the, the wind waker staff credits, just because it, it weaves together so many themes from the game seamlessly. And yeah, it's great. Those are my top two. So the breath of the wild trailer music you're talking about, is it the one where it ends on like a piano trail as Zelda's like looking up into the, into like some trees and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that was one of the E3 trailers. I could be wrong. You'll know it when you hear I it. It's, no <laughs> yeah, definitely. Man, I hope we get a little bit more of that next week, actually. I oh, mean, yeah. I think I'm it sure made it onto be- the 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 massive soundtrack that they got in Japan. So I, I'm pretty sure I have that re- the track somewhere. That crazy, that crazy box set. That's Yeah, I, I, I don't own yeah. that, but I, ha- um, I have the, the MP3s. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Man, that just, it, ju- it just truly sunk in for me. That E3 E3's next is week. in like oh, yeah. a week and a week and a bit, and Nintendo <laughs> is supposedly going to be there with you know a with ton of on, awesome so. stuff. All right, let's, let's yeah. get another new banger then. <laughs> yeah, I know, yes. right? <laughs> let's get that trailer music. Yeah. I'm all about it. Um, so, Lyndon, what's your favorite piece of music? Um, uh, okay, <laughs> not that. <sighs> oh man, it would have to be. I need to think about that for a second. You go, Matt. You go. Well, now I'm rethinking my as we've been talking because there's so many really good ones. It's I love the um, and again, a lot of this is my nostalgia for this game and how important it was to to me as a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Ballad of the Windfish. 
Mm-hmm. And actually, a lot of the music from Link's Awakening, including the, the credits roll yeah. um, from Link's Awakening. Can I, can I, I ask really a question those. about So Ballad of the Windfish was... When I was with Zelda Reorchestrated, it was by far the most requested track that we always, people would request tracks and we never released it. And like part of that was because there's just so much pressure to make a great arrangement of it because so many people want it. And like Link's Awakening was my first game. So like, I obviously, I understand like the, the, I can appreciate how that tracks importance is to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Would you say that for you, you appreciate like the actual composition of the the track or is it more the symbolic importance of like the level of importance it had in the game and that sort of translates into nostalgia for you? It definitely, I mean, the importance that the track has in the game is certainly a part of it, but I do think that the substance of the music did capture my imagination mm. in a very big way. I think a lot of that is because, especially the when you play the original version on the Game Boy, um, most of the music in that game is very much what you would expect from, uh, you know, from a handheld eight bit game of, of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very MIDI heavy. Very, it's not dissimilar from the things you hear in Link to the Past or even The Legend of Zelda. Right? It's very much video game music of its time, but. There's something about when you walk into you walk on the screen and Marin is there and she's singing and it cuts to like you're cutting from the Mabe Village theme, which has its, you know, its own homey kind of feel. Mm-hmm. And then you move a screen over and Marin is there and she's singing the Ballad of the Windfish. And there's something about the quality of that music um, that is like, obviously they're working with the same technology. It's not like they, it's not like they pushed the awesome button, like make music <laughs> awesome. And like it, but like, it just feels very tonally distinct, even within that game, which has quite a lot of, uh, quite a heavy amount of tonal distinction from other Zelda games. So yeah, I don't know. There was just something about it that captured my imagination, my imagination very much as a child. Um, and then obviously, you know, orchestral arrangements of it, yeah, both in Symphony of the Goddesses and whatever, and in and in the Switch remake too, have kind of pushed it, and it it becomes even more interesting and complex. But it's definitely not just about the narrative importance of the music for me. Yeah, like for me, I feel like throughout the game, they they like tease this piece of music at you the whole time. Like like you said, she's singing it in the in the village, and then. Um, every time you get a new instrument, you hear like a small little version of it. And then like you go to the, you know, the location with the shrine that has like the, the lore of the Island essentially. And you get like a different version of the theme there. And so like everywhere you go, like there's important story moments where it brings out this theme. And then of course the, the, even like the whole progression through the game, you're collecting these instruments. And so it's like, there's the anticipation of hearing what it's going to sound like with every single instrument. And then at the, at the end, you get the full version of it. And then even the cinematics after like you've beaten the final boss, like incorporate the themes. I don't know. It just felt very much like the music or that song was the reason you keep playing is because you want to hear the next version of it or, um, yeah, that at least that's how I feel about it. Like composition, like the substance of it for me isn't as good as like the way that they they made you feel attached to this piece of music throughout the game 
with mm-hmm. clever not because it was necessarily an amazing piece of music but because it was intrinsically tied to the story yeah, of the game and they did it like it's a, it's a masterclass in making music feel important in the video game and mm. yeah so mm-hmm. i'm so i've got my final answer and i i this is my favorite piece of music in all of zelda for a completely different reason than what you just said, because it literally is just like you're here and this music sounds cool. Right. And it only exists in this part of the game. My favorite piece of music in Zelda is the theme from Dragon Roost Island in Wind Waker. And then also the, um, the glow up that it gets in breath of the wild when yeah. you go to Rito village, I, like having, I have never played wind waker and I recognize dragon Roost <laughs> Island. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, I'm it's not, kind of a big deal. Yeah. I'm not sure if I like the wind waker version better or the breath of the wild version. They're, you know, they're communicating two completely separate emotions and vibes, but mm-hmm. just the, that musical theme. Um, I, I love it. I love yeah. it so much. I'm going to keep with ballad of the goddesses uh, or ballad of the goddess. Um, yeah. and I think, Really, the big thing for me is that not only is does it have its super bombastic, amazing, uh, like hype version that's in the intro credits, you also have the very intimate version that Zelda sings throughout the game. And so, like, you can get such a tonally distinct um, feeling from this piece of music depending on its context and who is who is playing or singing. And, um, I I find that very motivating and moving as as a set piece within the game. It's definitely like much more the Skyward Sword theme song than I feel like. I mean, some uh, every Zelda game has its theme, right? Right. But the Ballad of the Goddess is very much just like, and it was used this way in the marketing too. Yeah. It's very much like this is the Skyward Sword theme song. You know, yep. and, this was this is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I and I do like that piece of music quite yeah. a lot. I think it's great. I think a, a close runner up for me would probably be Stone Tower Temple. Okay. Cool. Um, so before we get out of here, Eric, I just have a, a question for you that's a bit more about video game music generally. Mm. Um, I mean, what uh, what games have come out in recent years that really spoke to you musically that you think have a very strong musical identity? And I, I'm sure that's a very difficult oh. question. Because <laughs> music in games has come a long way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not quite recently, but one of my favorite uh, video game scores would be Kid Icarus Uprising for the 3DS that came out in, I want to say 2013. Um, it's, it's wild. Like <laughs> it's such a, it's such a underrated score for that. Like, um, it's got so many different genres within it. So like there's something for everybody. Uh, the, the, the use of thematic content, um, and the way that it is used in the game is fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, that's my favorite Nintendo soundtrack, I would say. Um, does that, is that a good enough answer? Should I come up with it? it No, 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 no. That's a, that's a great one. I just, it's not, it's definitely not necessarily, the kind of answer that I was expecting, but also I feel like, because, you know, when you talk about excellence in video game music and of the last, you know, decade, mm. right. To me, my, my mind immediately goes to certainly journey. I think we're still within a decade from journey. I think mm. uh, <laughs> we might, yep, we might be right up, right up there. But, but then, you know, you've also got like your red dead redemption too. Oh yeah. I mean, God of war. And I mean, you know, um, I mean, Last of Us. Last of Us is one of the best music video game scores of the last at least five years. 
Yeah, like, yeah, sure. Man, so good. If um, I'm being completely honest, like the amount of music that I consume over the years has gone down the more that I get into actually making music. Um, yeah. And so like, it's, it's interesting to like, to, to have this question come up and not be able to like produce a, a, a recent answer. And, um, a lot of that is cause like when I'm listening to music, um, as like, as like creative influence fuel, like I'm listening to, um, primary sources almost like how you'd listen to, um, like various music from around the world, uh, based on various cultures. Um, I don't really listen to a lot of soundtracks because those are also influenced by the primary sources as well. And I don't want to sure. like create music. I don't want to create a soundtrack that's based on like other soundtracks so much. Um, mm -hmm. I'd rather, um, get to the heart of what those were inspired by and like use the source material. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I do think that there is a lot of very interesting musical work being done in games that is intended to be an homage to historical video game music, mm -hmm, you know, yeah. like obviously there's a certain sec uh, section of video game that is very popular for a reason, which is its intention is to approximate the style of like that 16 bit era yeah. of video games. Right. But then the music kind of goes along with that as well. And a lot of people are doing some really cool work in that space. Um, uh, one that immediately comes to mind is uh, the soundtrack for Celeste yeah, yeah. by Lena Rain. Um, what she did with that soundtrack is incredible. It's, it's really beautiful. Yeah, I love it. It's great. Well, I think that that's about all that we have, Matt. Do you have anything else that you wanted to? I don't, I think, uh, we have covered a huge amount of ground and, uh, really div, uh, dove deep here. Uh, dived, dove, divin. Uh, we have divin. <laughs> divin deep. deep. I like that one. Yeah, it's cool. not correct, but I like it. English is our first language, I promise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Diving deep into uh, into some really cool topics that I, I think are very unique to, maybe not unique, but I, I feel like originated heavily with Zelda. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, thank you so much for coming on, yeah, Eric. Thanks for having this me. Is, this whole conversation is just so – yeah, I stand by what I said earlier in the show. Music is – one of, I would say, the three main reasons that Zelda continues to be such an enduring success. And, Absolutely. And so, you know, to have a whole conversation about it with somebody who's, um, you know, got experience having to think critically about the musical history of Zelda has has really been a great pleasure. So we appreciate that. Um, Eric, before we get out of here, can you uh, can you tell any of our listeners um, who might want to give you a follow where they might be able to do that at? Do you have anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, I I tweet every now and then. Um, I've been I've been doing more like learning about game game development and like I've started. I want to make my own game at some point in the next you know, twenty years, maybe. So like I've been <laughs> I've been posting like my progress on like oh here's a three D model that I learned how to make or like here's um, this astronomy system that I'm building in Unreal Engine and stuff and. Uh, so if, so you're talking the whole, the whole game, not just the soundtrack. Yeah. Like, like I want to make a game front, front to back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least like, uh, learn how games are made so I can better apply that for, uh, as being a composer. So I'm not just writing music, but I'm actually, uh, designing and implementing interactive music systems and, mm. um, you know, going all in on it. <laughs> but, uh, my Twitter is just my full name, Eric Buckles. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the only place where I, I tend to, to, to post publicly. I don't do a lot of, um, a lot of the social media stuff, but. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then of course, um, I would encourage everybody and I'll probably actually go back in with editing Mike at the top of the show and say, if you haven't listened to hero of time, um, pause now and go do that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if you have not listened to hero of time, definitely go give that a spin. Um, it is, uh, I think a, an incredibly well done adaptation of, of the music of Ocarina of Time. So, um, that is on Spotify, I believe. Yeah. And then also, if you are a person of culture, you can go try to pick up the vinyl somewhere. I have it. It's great. <laughs> um, you know, you can hit up the, the Ebays or, uh, Discogs or something like that, but definitely worth having in your collection. Okay, excellent. Well, I think that about ties us up for today. Um, let's get into the outro here real quick. I usually have the document pulled up, but I don't right now. Um, if you enjoyed today's show and would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, oh my gosh, head on over to the patreon.com slash sacred realms pod and become the a outro. <laughs> Got no rupees? Ain't no problem. Five star Apple podcast reviews are great. Uh, free way to support us. More reviews means more people to see our show and that makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacred realms pod for updates on the pod and behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will not have another bonus episode this season, but we will be back next season with some more good stuff for you guys uh join us on wednesday for our final episode of ocarina of time covering ganon's castle and uh we'd love for you to play along with us and share your thoughts on our social channels ocarina of time can be played on the nintendo 3ds or 2ds or of course your old interest your old trusty nintendo 64 and if you're a masochist you could play it on the wii u gamepad he sensed weakness and he just moved in and <laughs> took the outro <laughs> right away from me man you, you gotta be you quick didn't, you didn't miss a beat did you no i did not in the meantime may your hearts be full and your arrows never miss we'll catch you guys next time <laughs> Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.